Well, ladies, it's been wonderful to be with you this weekend after this session. I might have a few minutes to join the table, but we're going to be scooting out of here, so I wanted to say a warm goodbye in case I don't get to talk with you again, and I don't want to interrupt your table groups. So thank you for having me, and it's been wonderful to be with you all. But I want to pray and then get started for our final session where we'll be talking about the glorious truth of the gospel, the truth will set you free. So let's pray and we'll begin. Father God, we thank you that you are over all things. We thank you for this weekend that we could set aside time to study your word together. We thank you that you have given us truth to fight these lies. We thank you that in Christ we are enough. We pray, Father, that you would help us to remember that the world wants us to think we're never enough because of our appearance or our achievements. We pray that you would daily bring to truth the mind that in your beloved Lord and Savior, in your beloved Son, our Lord and Savior, we are enough. I pray, Father, that you would please give us eyes to see and ears to hear the gospel this afternoon, that you would open up your word to us, that we would understand it better, and that you would help us to apply these truths to our lives. And I pray for the discussions around the table, that they would be fruitful and profitable, and that you would bring an abundance of fruitfulness from this retreat in the lives of the women at CDC. We also pray, Father, for Jeremy as he prepares to preach tomorrow morning. We ask that you would give him abundant time in the scriptures today to prepare. We pray that you would lead him and guide him tomorrow, that you would give him strength and energy in the pulpit, and that your word would be boldly proclaimed. And we pray, Father, for CBC. We pray that you would do a mighty work in this church. We pray, Father, that you would remember, uh, remind your people to remember your promises. We pray that you would be faithful to raise up elders, deacons, pastors that will shepherd this flock well, and that the women of the church would be helpers and encouragers and women who look to you in all things and believe your promises even in hard times. We pray, Father, that you would bring other people into CDC's life to encourage them during these months ahead, and we pray, Father, that your will would be accomplished in this place and that you would raise up more and more people to come and bring their spiritual gifts that you've given to them to use for the benefit of the church. And we pray that CDC would be a bulwark of truth in the Nashville area, that they would be a beacon of light and other people would be able to not only come and hear the good news of the gospel, but that their lives truly would be changed through the ministry of the church. We ask all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus. I want to take a few moments to talk about just the glorious truth that when we stop believing these lies, and let's just review them, our ways are better than God's ways, we have to look like her in order to be beautiful, our worth, beauty, and significance are defined by whether or not a man loves us, our significance is based on our success, is defined by our superiors, and if we had what she has, then we would be more satisfied, significant, and secure than we are now. And if we're going to battle against these lies, which we will have to do every day, then we need the truth. 
And not only do we need the truth, we need the Holy Spirit who will help us apply the truth and hide it in our hearts. Remember last night, I remind—I didn't remind you, I told you, maybe for the first time, that I use answer 127 to the Heidelberg Catechism every morning in my own prayer life. And it reminds me that we are in a spiritual battle and our enemies, the world, the devil, and our own flesh never stop attacking us. Now think about that. There's never a time that you and I go on vacation from the attacks of the enemy. Always, every moment, the world, the flesh, and the devil want us to believe lies, and we have to counter that with truth. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 8, and we'll read together these verses. John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Like the Jews, you and I are very slow to understand that we are enslaved to anyone or anything. But Jesus says that we are all enslaved to sin. And in Christ is the only solution for that freedom to come. In Christ, we are a new creation, and we have been given everything we need, Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, everything we need to live a life of godliness. And this is a good time for me to just ask you, before I leave this weekend, if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and rested in Him alone for your salvation. Because if we haven't, then we can't be free. It's only by the Holy Spirit's grace that we can be a disciple of Christ and live for Him. Following Him daily, giving Him our hearts as we looked at last night in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Really fearing Him and loving Him. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't ever received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or rested in Him alone for your salvation, that you would talk with someone this weekend before you leave, whether that's Stephanie or Kelsey or one of the other ladies, and that you maybe tomorrow would be able to talk with one of your pastors or elders or deacons. But if we are a new creation in Christ and we have been given everything we need to live a life of godliness, why do we still struggle with sin? Wouldn't it be nice if we were just free completely from sin? But Romans chapter 7 tells us that on this side of glory, you and I are still going to struggle against the world, the flesh, and the enemy, always, until Jesus comes again. The good news is that we can truly walk in the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 tells us that. So just turn over to Galatians 5 uh, with me. Because Paul gives the same message that Jesus gave in John chapter 8, that Christ has come to set us free. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And then he goes on 
at the end of chapter 5 to tell us to walk by the Spirit and we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then he tells us what some of those desires of the flesh are. Verse 19, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and just in case you weren't convicted yet, he says, and things like these. So all of us have these lusts of the flesh that we're doing battle against throughout our lifetime. But Paul says you have to walk by the Spirit. And walking by the Spirit means that we give our lives to Christ and we focus on the gospel and we pray and ask God to bring about the fruit of the Spirit, which look in verses 22 and following what these are. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Then he says, against such things there is no law. In other words, you're never going to be going down the interstate. You, know, you see that big speed sign of 45 miles an hour. You know, you're not supposed to go higher than 45 miles an hour. But you're never going to be going down the road and see this big sign with an apple um, or an apple that stands for love or, you know, an orange that stands for peace that have a big X drawn through it because you want to have an abundant amount of goodness an abundant amount of love, and an abundant amount of faithfulness. No one would ever tell you, don't have just this much faithfulness. So there's no law against these things. You want to have an abundance of it. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh, he says, with its passions and its desires. How do we walk by the Spirit? We walk by the Spirit by giving our lives continually to the Lord, asking Him to uphold us and strengthen us with His Spirit within us so that we can battle against these things. But you know that if you have battled these lies, deliverance is often not immediate. Many times, don't you just feel like you're slugging through mud and just you're two steps forward, but then one step back, and it's hard. So Paul reminds us, turn over to Ephesians chapter 6, that we are not just doing battle against flesh and blood, but we actually have enemies. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are not in a battle against flesh and blood. Remember that. I have to remind myself that sometimes. I'm not, that person is not my enemy. I am in a battle against the, the forces of evil. And Paul lays that out very clearly for us here. So what do we do? How do we fight against these temptations by being strong in the Lord? Well, the first thing we have to do has to do with knowledge. We have to fight the lies that are swirling around us with knowledge. It is significant that when Paul tells the church in Rome to present their bodies to God as a living sacrifice, he also tells them not to be conformed to this world. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 but to be transformed by the renewing of their minds. 
So if we are going to be free from this world's definition of beauty and significance, we are going to have to go to the Word of God to have our minds and our hearts transformed. We have to renew our minds in the Word of God. Not just once a week, but on a daily basis, we have to be in the Word of God. We have to know God's definition of beauty and God's definition of significance so that we don't succumb to these lies. <clears throat> he also writes to the church at Corinth. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Okay? We have to take our thoughts captive to Christ. That means when you and I recognize and start thinking about those lies and we're about to grab hold of those and believe them, we have to take that thought captive and run to Jesus. This is why, by the way, the secular counselors or the support groups or the nutritionists don't ask enough of their people because they're all dealing with not the root system of the problem, but the, the fruit of the problem. And we need somebody who will remind us that Christ doesn't just want a little bit of us or a little bit of our heart. Christ wants all of us. So knowledge is one of our first weapons. But we also have to fight the lies swirling within us with faith. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Our faith is not rooted in nothing. Our faith is rooted in the truth of God's word. We believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth in real space and time history in order to live a life of perfect obedience for us on the one hand and to die in our place on the other hand. Right? We believe he rose again from the grave as the first fruits of our resurrection and because he has been raised, we know that we too one day will be raised up with him. And not only raised up, but seated at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us, he is now, and he's ruling over his kingdom. And we look forward to that day, and we know that it's coming. And by faith, we walk through this world as pilgrims, not with our eyes focused on the worldly things, but with our eyes focused on Jesus. I love to ask my kids, you know, where is Jesus now? You know, Jesus is in heaven, in his resurrected body. What's he doing? He's reigning over us. And he's praying for us, and he's waiting for the day when he will come again to take us home. So we walk with knowledge, we walk with faith, but the third tool to fight these lies is by prayer. We fight these lies swirling around us and within us by prayer. Paul tells us that we must pray at all times, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 19, being watchful in the fight against the world and the flesh and the enemy. And that means that you and I are to pray for one another. I love it. I just heard Kelsey's announcement for the prayer cards over here. We have to have each other to pray with and for each other in this life. It is hard. 
And you and I need to do a better job of reaching out to others and saying, hey, I need you to pray for me. I'm having a really hard time. Well, it is often true that the woman who is struggling with these lies needs to be reminded of several important truths. So I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Kind of a, a funny place to take you on a women's retreat because these are letters to the seven churches. But in Revelation chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, Jesus actually gives us a solution to our problem. And the solution is essentially Him. Scripture reminds us in Revelation chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, that we are often naked in our shame. Revelation 3, verse 17. He's talking here to the church in Laodicea. And on the one hand, he's been commending churches, but on the other hand, in addition to commending them, he also tells them their weaknesses. So he tells them their strengths and their weaknesses. And here, Speaking to this church in Laodicea, he says, I know your works, verse 15, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Okay, now, interestingly, Jesus gives us the solution in these verses in a roundabout way. But the first thing he reminds us of here in this letter to the church of Laodicea is that the solution to our problems, but the solution to not believing these lies is, is Him. He is the solution. Because first, by His Spirit, He gives us His riches that He has secured for us by perfect obedience and a cursed death. So He gives us His perfection, His riches. But second of all, did you notice He gives us our clothing? He gives us our clothing. Now we saw this last night in the book of Genesis. Right before he kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden, he clothed them with animal skins. And that was a picture, right in the beginning of the story of redemption, that God is going to be the one to clothe us. We're not responsible to clothe ourselves because we can't. He clothes us, and he clothes us with royal robes of righteousness that are given to us by his Son. But third, the third thing I want you to see here is that he gives us new eyes. He gives us new eyes. He removes the lust of our eyes for the things of this world, and he replaces it with eyes for him and his glory. And finally, he extends his loving discipline to us. But just like we have to discipline our children, so too the Lord God disciplines us. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. And we see that God's discipline is for our good. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. 
It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. We might say for our purposes, daughters, too. For what son or daughter is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of Spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So when God chastises us, when he disciplines us, he's doing it as a father who loves us. Is it painful? Yes, it's painful. All discipline is painful. But look at what he says in verse 11. For the moment it's painful, but it's going to be pleasant because it will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You and I have experienced this. We could probably go around this room right now and get story after story of what the psalmist testified in Psalm 119. If I weren't afflicted, then I would have gone astray. And it's true, isn't it? God often uses times in our lives that are filled with suffering. Maybe suffering we didn't choose. Maybe suffering that came to us as a result of just consequences of our own bad choices and sin. But God uses those times, and don't miss this, God uses those times to tenderly, gently, lovingly draw us to Him. And although it is painful, it does, by His grace, turn out to be very pleasant because it yields that peaceful fruit of righteousness in our lives. Now, over the years, I've come to realize that it's very hard to teach women sometimes who are going through difficult times that God loves them. I've had women get down in front of me and say, Sarah, I know God is sovereign. I know He's sovereign over this situation. But in the midst of this situation, which is so difficult, I'm having a very hard time believing that He loves me. I think this is one of the main reasons we believe that our ways are better than his ways and our wisdom is better than his wisdom is because we really don't believe that he really loves us. It's also why we look to other things or other people or other places for our satisfaction or security or significance because sometimes we are not convinced that he finds us lovely. We're not convinced that he really is for us. We're not convinced that he really has the best purposes and plans for our lives. But I want to encourage you this morning, because in the book of Zephaniah, we see a message given to God's people just before they were going into exile. Exile was not a good thing. Exile was the worst form of God's discipline. But in the midst of this, we see God's grace shining through his judgment. Judah had turned her back from the Lord. She had bowed down to other gods. Her life was filled with immorality and idolatry. And so God had no choice but to keep his covenant promises and bring the covenant curse of exile upon them. But even as he was bringing 
judgment upon them. He gave them a ray of hope. I want you to turn over to Zephaniah chapter 3 so that you see this. Zephaniah is one of the minor prophets. So think um, the very last books of the Old Testament. And some of you could sing a song right now. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. And then you come to Zephaniah, I think. <laughs> okay, Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Now listen, this is in the context of God's discipline. But he wanted his people back. He wanted them to stop believing the lies and to return to him. And he writes, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. And then verse 20. At that time I will bring you in, at the time when I gather you together. For I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes. I just want you to think about that in the context of your own life right now. Hey, bring this home to where you're at right now. Because here is a people who had wandered off from the Lord. And our hearts are prone to wander. They had wandered off. They had sought their satisfaction and their security and significance in other people, in other places, and other things. They had become like the pagan peoples around them. And God disciplined them for that. But don't miss in the midst of that, this ray of hope, that one day he's going to bring them back to joy and restoration and rejoice over them with gladness, verse 17, and quiet them by his love. This is a promise to all of us who have run after false gods and false lovers, seeking to find our significance in so many other things. And God says, I long for you to return to me. And when we do, he quiets us by his love and rejoices over us with gladness. But don't miss also that he is in our midst, a mighty one who will save. And Joel we actually get the promise that the years that the locusts have eaten, the Lord God will restore. And you and I could probably share many years that the locusts have eaten in our own lives. But here God is saying, I will be with you and I am mighty to save you out of those places in your life that have been barren and hard and rotten. But I will sing over you even still. I found over the years that women never really move past these lies that we've studied. They often start when we're young girls and we keep believing them. Throughout our lives, they just manifest themselves in different ways. And yet, at the same time, 
by God's grace, we get better and better at recognizing these lies and putting them to death. I love what Job says. Job says in chapter 12, verse 12, Wisdom is with aged men and with length of days understanding. So hopefully, as we grow older in the faith, we are becoming more wise. Solomon says the silver-haired head is a crown of glory if it is found in the way of righteousness. In other words, it's not just a good thing to be old, but it's a good thing to be old and walking with the Lord. Because if you're old and walking with the Lord, then you're a wise person. In the Psalms, in Psalm chapter 71, verses 17 and 18, we hear, O oh God, you have taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works. Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. As we grow in recognizing these lies and battling against them, one of the things we need to do is tell those who are younger than we are how to battle these lies. And we see this here, that we are to declare how God has worked in our own lives as we have been tempted to believe these lies to help those that are younger than we are, or perhaps older, recognize these lies and battle against them. How do we best continue in this faith even as we are battling these lies? I want you to turn to the book of Colossians because after magnifying Christ's preeminence in all things to the Colossian saints, Paul speaks of Christ's work of reconciliation and its purpose for believers. And he says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 22, that Christ's work of reconciliation and its purpose for believers is to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. And then he highlights how this holiness is brought about in verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you In our minute clinic, self-checkout, drive-through culture, we have lost the appreciation for what it means to be steadfast in something. But steadfast perseverance is so important as we battle against these lies. As we strive to put these lies behind us, by God's grace, we have to continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast in the truth of God's word, and not be moved away from the hope of the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ came and lived for us by obeying the law perfectly and died for us on the cross. And if we don't keep our eyes on him, then we will not be able to battle these lies. Also, in our celebrity-focused culture, we're tempted to place great worth in what we should count as loss. And I just want to bring our attention to Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. If there was any person who should have boasted in their accomplishments, it would have been the Apostle Paul. But Paul tells us in Philippians 3, verses 7 through 11, what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss. For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, 
for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who could have boasted in all these accomplishments, and he says that I count all of these accomplishments, all of these achievements as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. One of the ways that we forsake the lives of this world is by counting all things lost for the sake of Christ, that we might gain Him. Well, I also want us to take a brief look at what it means to be eagerly expecting the day of Christ. So I don't think that you and I really understand the importance of fixing our eyes on Jesus, keeping an eternal perspective, knowing that it's only as we look to Him with eyes of faith that we know our beloved Lord and Savior is coming again to meet us. I know a lot of you have been to weddings. Some of you may have been to weddings more recently than others. But remember when the bride takes her place at the top of the aisle and they open the doors and she comes down with the one who's going to give her away and everyone turns to look at her. But sometimes we also steal a look at the groom, right? Because the groom is sitting there watching his beloved bride walk down the aisle and as they grow closer and closer there's this climactic moment where their eyes meet and finally she comes to the front of the church and they are there to be brought together as husband and wife. We also have this day that we're looking forward to that Jesus is coming again, our bridegroom, and we are his bride. And he, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, talks about how when we meet him, Christ will look upon us with great love because we are beautiful in his eyes. He bought us with his blood. He loved us with his life. He washed us with his word. He glorified us with his glory. And he has cherished us as his church. And he is ready and eager to come back and get us. And for all of eternity, we will not be in this world. We will not be seeking to find our satisfaction, our significance, our security in the things of this world. We will be with Jesus forever. Forever. So this little blip is really a little blip, this life on this side of glory. And so as we live here, we need to fight to believe. And one day we will know for certain that God's ways are better than our ways. And his wisdom is better than our wisdom. That we are beautiful in his eyes. That our worth and our beauty and our significance are defined by Christ and carry the greatest value. And that our significance is based on his success and that we will never be more satisfied, significant, and successful than when we are in Christ. Listen to Isaiah chapter 62, verse 5. 
As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. So we should lift our voices every day, especially on Sundays when we're together, in praise of the one who forsook beauty so that you and I can be beautiful, who gave up his life so that we can be loved, and who suffered greatly so that we can be saved. For the Lord takes pleasure, the psalmist says in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation, and in return, we are to rejoice in our Maker and be joyful in our King and sing praises to Him. I want to just open it up for a few minutes um, since our time together is drawing to a close. And I want to have you have the opportunity to ask questions and hopefully for me to give answers that are wise about things you have thought about this weekend, maybe still lingering thoughts or if you have anything you want to share that has been meaningful to you. But I just want to give us five or ten minutes before we break up into our small groups to have a, a little question and answer time. So does anyone want to get us started? Thoughts you might want to share or questions you might have about these lies and the truth that sets us free? I have a question I wrote down from the last session. I wonder if you could share a little bit. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think of the women. I'm thinking just now as you're saying that of women in our churches who have said it's not helpful when pastors speak about men being addicted to pornography and leave out women being addicted to pornography because certainly the statistics are growing in increasingly large numbers. Women are being becoming addicted to pornography too. And I've had several women say it seems like when they only mention that's a man's struggle, it makes me feel like my struggle with that is even worse. So that's another example of how we, you know, maybe in our culture have excused men more maybe than women. Anyone else? Well, I think we have time in our groups now to discuss the questions, and I, I've been really happy to see how much you all are discussing these in your groups, so we'll take some time to do that, and um, then I think you all have free time.